welcome to Pro Corner. And if you're looking at my shining face on YouTube, welcome to the very first long form one-on-one -on -one interview that I've done for the Pro Corner YouTube channel. Um, if you're only having access to my velvety voice on any of the audio podcast feeds, no worries. Every single episode from now on will be on audio on all platforms along with the YouTube page. Um, but I highly recommend watching the video so you can see how cool me and my guests are dressed. I mean, look at this dry fit Under Armour Henley I'm wearing right now. Uh, watch wearing a backwards hat in my basement in my house. Um, my guest today is Tate Jackson. He's a Texas alum. He's a professional swimmer for the ISL's Cali Condors. And he's currently over in Budapest for his second season of the International Swimming League. Um, the ISL experiment is incredible, what they're doing right now, considering everything they've had to throw together to keep the swimmers safe because of COVID, um, all the travel that went into it, all of the testing that needs to be done. And so far, it's been nothing but good news and nothing but rave reviews from the athletes. So I'm stoked as a fellow pro and as a fan of professional swimming and wanting to see the sport do well. I'm also a fan of Tate. Um, like I said, he's a Texas alum like myself, um, a member of the Texas pro swimming group that I used to be a part of and a guy that I've maybe met three times in my life, but I feel like I remember every exchange uh, very sharply because he's such a welcoming and warm guy. And he also very clearly has a hunger for knowledge. And I feel like every exchange I had with him was with him wanting to learn from me. Um, myself being someone who's about seven years older than him. And I met him the last time when he was in college, he very clearly, um, the flow of information, he directs it inward because he's a very curious and unassuming person. And you'll see that in the interview. Absolutely loved our conversation and before we get to it, uh, really cool news. Tate has agreed to do a Q&A session with me where he reads through user-submitted questions. So anything that you want me and Tate to talk about, keep in mind this is two professional swimmers, someone like myself that's experienced collegiate coaching, and someone like Tate and myself who are NCAA champions and World University Games medalists on the international stage, and both U.S. national team members. We have a a wealth of information at our disposal from our experiences. And we also just like to talk and mailbag episodes are super fun. So submit your questions or anything that you want us to chat about on the pro corner Instagram page. That's at pro corner podcast. You can also email myself directly Austin at pro corner podcast.com. Or lastly, you can leave a comment on the YouTube channel right below and that's my dog barking upstairs that you can clearly hear so i'm just gonna get right to the episode here's tate i'm here with tate jackson over there in budapest hungary fresh off a season opening match win with the cali condors uh tate how you doing man I'm doing really well. I'm, uh, I'm excited to talk to you today. The win this, this weekend was very exciting. It's cool to be here. The island, uh, the island and the whole, the whole bubble, the Budapest bubble, as it's being referred to. <laughs> Hashtag Budapest bubble. We'll get that rolling. Um, 
I was talking to your coach, Wyatt Collins, um, Texas pro assistant coach. And he mentioned that you guys are on an Island in the middle of a river for this like swim meet bubble that's going on. And it just sounds like it's bananas to me. So can you kind of take me through how things have been going so far and what it's like living in this, this sports bubble for this big swim series? Yeah, for sure. So first off, it's like, so it's, it's the Danube river river. Mm -hmm. Um, and we can see Duna arena. Like I can see it out my window right now. It's like right across on the other side. And like, to the best of my knowledge, uh, Margaret Island, which is where we are, is kind of like a central park type of thing mm -hmm. where there's like a zoo, uh, and there's a walking path all the way around and you're only allowed to drive on it if you have a special pass on your car. So it's pretty locked down like to outsiders. Um, but like the general population can come and run on the Island. Mm -hmm. Um, and the hotel itself is, is pretty incredible. Uh, I mean, the food has been very good, all, all hotel food considered, and it's mm -hmm. been really diverse. Like usually, uh, at, at bigger meets, the, the fear is that you're going to get spaghetti, red sauce and chicken breast. <laughs> For, for eight days straight. And so a lot of what we were afraid of was that, you know, we were getting tired of the food. Um, but so far I've had, I had Hungarian pasta and I've had some interesting Hungarian sauces and there's soups every day that are, that are new. Um, it's been good. The food I think is going to be sustainable through the whole thing. Um, and the hotel rooms to ourselves uh, cause we're all social distancing, obviously. Uh, and the rooms are nice as well. We've got, I got a full bath, a bath I can fit in. Like, I, I can't even describe how big the bath is. It's like eight feet, probably. That's incredible. Like the easiest tub to ever ice bath in. You know, the own room is for the social distancing thing, but I think we can both agree it's also just nice to have your own space. Yeah, and I mean, I think, I don't remember. So I was uh, Condors last year as well. I'm, I joined halfway through. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think last year at Vegas, yeah, Vegas, we had our own rooms as well. Like just everyone got their own rooms in Vegas. Mm -hmm. um, but I think if I remember correctly in Maryland, some people did share and I as the newcomer just got lucky and got his own room. So <laughs> I've actually never shared a room for any, for any condors trip yet, but. Nice that you missed that part of the, uh, of being a rookie on the team. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's pretty fascinating to me being over here thinking about what's going on for you guys over there, just cause there's so much into keeping you guys safe on top of running a pretty impressive professional swimming league. So I want to dig into the competition first before we go through your daily schedule and what life's been like. Mm -hmm. how, how was the competition this weekend? What was it like being at this pool in these pods in the stands with your teammates and wearing masks, the production, like just give us a picture of what was going on. So the first thing, and it's, it's something everyone talks about when they talk about ISL for the first time. And even though I was part of it last year, the matches go by so fast. Like it's, it's hard to describe how fast it feels when you're there. Mm -hmm. And I was part of it last year. I saw it last year and I still showed up and was blown away. And I was like, Oh, we're just, we're just cranking out the races like this, huh? Mm -hmm. um, the arena I've never been to Duna before. Uh, when this originally was slated to happen in Australia, I was very excited. And then when they switched it to Budapest, uh, Townley, uh, who was here in 2017 for Worlds, was thrilled because he was like, this is one of the best pools I've been to. Everyone I've talked to loves it. Mm -hmm. And it's obvious why they love it. It's so, they have so much water. Um, there's a, a 50 long course pool, which is kind of what we're using as the main warm-up, warm-down. 
And those are isolated to teams for the most part. So when we're racing in three and four, we're, we're in the same lanes every single time for the races as well. So the mm -hmm. first match, we were five and six. Second match, second day of the first match. Sorry, not second match. Um, first day, we were five and six. Second day, we were three and four. And so that translates into the long course pool as well for warm up, warm down. So we were warming up in those lanes and those lanes only. Right. Um, the competition itself, right? So we show up, you show up in waves, uh, the teams do. So that's another social distancing thing. We show up uh, like one team at a time and then there's a small break and then another team. And we all have our own areas, obviously. So we're all pretty, pretty separate. I, I would say there's probably about 15, 20 feet before we even start getting close to the breakers who are the team that was closest to us at this last match. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, you know, it's the stuff you'd expect, right? You walk in, you're, you're pretty far apart when you're walking in as a, as a team and you get a little, they have a head laser, like go like this. Oh, sure. Your head. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's on a stand. It's like a tripod. They don't move. Dude. Yeah. It's, it's pretty legit. And then yeah. uh, there's obviously bat your badge gets checked and they've started adding stickers to your badges i was seeing if i had mine right here um to tell if you've gotten a recent COVID test because mm -hmm. we're all getting tested on the same schedule and so if you don't have the little sticker they don't let you in because you haven't gotten the most recent one um on top of that there's a daily questionnaire that we had to fill out every day uh, it gets emailed to you you enter your credential number and then you just go through the, the general symptoms uh but once we we're all in into the competition the general rules are you know, obviously maintain distance to the best of your abilities. Keep a mask on any time. You take the mask off when you get up to the bulkhead uh, for the warm-up, warm-down pool. So you wear it up with your cap goggles on, pull it off, dive in. That's kind of mm -hmm. how it's been, which is how we've been doing it at Texas with the pro group there as well. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very, very similar, you know, very similar uh, precautions. Mm -hmm. And then for racing, when you're actually going in to do your race for your part, uh, you wear the mask to the first call room, wear the mask to the second call room. And then when you're behind the curtain, there are eight chairs and they all have plexiglass partitions. So if you're watching on TV, the, the huge screen right behind the blocks, right behind there is where we're sitting. Okay. Um, and you have your own chair, you have a plexiglass and you have a little bucket for your mask. So you mm -hmm. put your mask in there and then they bring your mask to you right after. Okay. Um, and then the walkout, which is always sweet, and I think is one of the coolest things that they're doing here. Yeah. Um, you walk out on both sides and <clears throat> straight to your lanes. Um, competition's great. The pool's great. I, I enjoyed both of all three of my races this weekend. Mm -hmm. um, the cheering. So I wanted to, the cheering's interesting because since the match is so fast, I don't, you don't really get that much opportunity to go up and cheer unless you're an early swimmer or a late swimmer. Right. Right. So if you swim like the first or second event, you can swim your first, second event, warm down, and then you get about like 30 minutes to be in the box cheering. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, I swam the relays and so they're, they tend to be towards the end. So I'd be jumping in to warm up right when the meet started. Mm -hmm. So our local time for our Saturday match was 8 to 10 p.m. It's a late, late swim. And I was supposed to, I was slated to go off for the relay at, I think like nine, nine fifteen or so. And like, that makes it hard, right? Cause you're trying to get in about an hour and 15 before your race. So sure. I'm getting in before the meet starts and then I'm changing, I'm racing. And then there's only 30 minutes of the meet left. Mm -hmm. So my choice was either 
warm down a true warm down or go cheer. And so I did a hundred easy and popped my butt over to the box. So I, <laughs> so I could go crazy for the doors. Um, but I, yeah, it's, they've captured the environment like very well. Right. So you, you're really into it. The lights, the, the DJ, the cameras, it's all very, very sweet. It's, it makes you feel very professional and very legitimate, which I mean, this is, it's a very legitimate scene. It feels more like a match or a game or let's say here in America, like an NFL production. Oh than yeah. It, and it's, it does like a swim meet, like a college dual meet against Georgia or something like that. You, you wouldn't, if you walked in, like if you were just strolling, you're strolling on the street in Budapest and you're like, Oh, I should probably just pop in and see what this is about. You would be so taken aback. It's, it's not like anything. Like there's no, no downtime between races at all. Like maybe th- I was going to say three minutes, but I think that's a, a huge overestimate. Mm-hmm. Um, they churn out the races very, very fast. Trims up the best, the worst part, I should say. The worst part of swim meets for your average spectator, which is if you had one day left to live, you'd spend it at a swim meet because they last yeah. forever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, I think that's a huge pull for people that, you know, haven't necessarily been interested in swimming as a spectator sport before. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause when you're in college and you make friends and they're like, Oh, I should come watch you swim sometime. You like kind of think to yourself, you're like, do you yeah. want, do you want to like, are you yeah. sure? But like this? Yes. If you have the opportunity to go to an ISL match, do it. Like mm-hmm. we had guys from the team go to the Louisville match last year. I would definitely recommend it. It is a sight to see. It's very spectacular. I was lucky enough to stop by actually at your first match with the Cali Condors in the inaugural season last year uh, in my home state of Maryland at the College Park University of Maryland pool. And I thought I was on a different planet. I was like, what, there's a DJ? Like, what, what are these amazing, like, video animations they're doing for all the logos? Yeah. It was weird. It was, like, this awesome, like, Eurotechno, like, 80s movie in 2020 at a, at a swim meet. I was like so blown away by it. There was so much energy. Um, the skins match is fascinating. Um, and I want to talk about your first season last year, but before we do that, the match is super exciting. You guys get the win. Um, and then you come back here and now it's back to daily life. So what is a day in the life like for Cali Condor swimmer Tate Jackson over here in Budapest, Hungary? Yeah, so the schedule, since everyone can't train at the same time, right? So since they're, we're separated by team, mm-hmm. uh, the training time kind of shifts by day. So we've had training times at 6.30 and we've had training times at 9.30. So like today we swam, we woke up, okay? You fill out your questionnaire, like pretty much as soon as you wake up if you can. And then breakfast, and breakfast is socially distanced in the way that everyone has their own table. Mm-hmm. So you have your own table and you know, your friends six feet away from you and that they're at their own table. That's the only time that you can really see other people's faces. Right. So there's people on my team that the only time I've seen their actual full face is at meals and it's cause they're so far away from me. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get your breakfast and then you bus over, uh, the bus rides probably five or so minutes. It's not, not a bad bus ride at all. You get there and you do the exact same procedure as if you were racing, right? So you get the head scan, you get hand sanitizer right away. Someone checks your credentials. They usher you in, you go straight to your area Mm -hmm. and still like mask up your mask all the way up to the bulkhead mask off when you're on the bulkhead. And then it's, uh, you know, 
it's interesting because it's not a it's not a college meet. There's no one coach that's giving you the whole team one practice. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone's kind of separated into their own little group. Um, so while I've been here, I've been doing practices with Townley, you know, some Texas practices. I've been doing some practices with Coleman Stewart and Justin Rest, some NC State practices. I spent a little bit of time with them right before we left. I spent like 12 days in Raleigh. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I mean, it's a pro practice, right? So it's a little bit of what we've brought and it's a little bit of the input from the coaches. So like today we had a main set from Braden at NC state and then Jaunty gave us the whole warm-up. Jaunty's our, our Cali Condors coach. Mm-hmm. Jaunty, he gave us the legendary warm-up. coach, Jaunty Skinner, the head the coach. The legend. I didn't Condors. think I had to elaborate. That's, that's, uh, we're, we're doing full elaboration here just for now. But, um, yeah, yeah. He's the, yeah. Uh, he's the legend. Um, so coach Jaunty, yeah, he did the warm up, and then he gave us like some technique work and, you know, he's obviously helping you. He's like, Hey Tate, you know, make sure you're thinking about the hip connection and your freestyle. And it's, it's a good, it's a good, very productive environment, like to train in. Like it's very, it makes you want to work because you have so many people that you haven't been around mm-hmm. and so many people from so many different places that they have so much, so much, there's so much to learn from everybody really. Like that's, that's the best way I can kind of put it like in, in the pool training. Yeah. Um, and then after training, uh, you, today I had weights. So there's weights times that also fluctuate based on what weight room you have and what weight time you have. So I have now lifted in, I think three different weight rooms. I haven't lifted in the same weight room twice, Mm -hmm. uh, but they're all like fairly similar. Like they all have everything you need, you know, like there's nothing I've really wanted for. Sure. Um, and then bus back and bus back into lunch into the room and then it's for me life as usual i brought a laptop i got a I got some keyboard a mouse i'm playing some video games while i'm here um pretty life is pretty life as usual for me right in the middle of the day uh because i thir- you know we're encouraged not to be hanging out spending time because of sure. social distancing obviously um we are granted uh, 90 minutes to leave the hotel Yeah. So I've been talking to your coach Wyatt about this. So before you move past that part and go into other meals, what's up with this 90 minutes? What are you doing with it? What's at your disposal? Like, are we talking about you're just allowed to go outside and take a walk around the Island or can you actually just leave the Island at all? No. Okay. No. So you can't leave the Island. Uh, that's, you can't leave the Island like unless you're, so I think you're allowed to walk to the pool if you decide to walk, like if you need extra training time or if your practice is going to go late. Sure. But it has to be like with your uh, COVID marshal. So this is something I didn't touch on. Every team has a COVID marshal. Yeah. Uh, who is a local um, Hungarian who will watch your team and their job is to A, remind you to be following the guidelines, but B, dock you points. Mm-hmm. We lose points if we're not following protocol. So if she sees me maskless right in Townley's face screaming at him about a set and we're not in the pool um we get docked a point and they don't tell you they don't tell you they're docking your point it's just points gone wow um so you're allowed to walk but that's the only time you're really allowed off the island yeah 90 minutes we've kind of been using just as structured outside time really uh mostly just walking it's actually been like pretty gray and rainy the whole time we've been here which is pretty unique from what i've heard for this time of year mm-hmm. um but we're scheduled to get some sun uh today and tomorrow so i'm probably going to use my full 90 minutes i've only used about probably 40 or so minutes a day so far because of the rain yeah um 
and yeah, if you're you're limited to the island. There's some cool. There's a castle. Like there was a castle. There's castle ruins here. You can go walk around those. Those are really cool. And then there's a walk. There's a walking path around the whole island because, like I said, it's like kind of their central park type deal sure. is what it seems to me. Um, and so there's a walking trail all the way around. There's a bike trail all the way around. There's a zoo, like a small zoo with like deer and horses and uh, you know. Have you some have other. you checked out this zoo yet? I walked past the zoo and just saw the deer and I was like, should we check this out? And then it started raining. So maybe on a sunny day, I'll make it over to the zoo. Sure. Maybe in another uh, stru- structured outside time. Yes. Just another day of structured. Out. I mean, we've got five <laughs> weeks. I have my time to see the zoo. <laughs> yeah. It's a marathon, not a sprint, man. You got a yeah. while. You got a while in this environment. So you got your structured time. You have your training schedule. Uh, you mentioned breakfast and then dinner is a little, is a little different too as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one more thing on the structured outside time though, please you sign in and out. Okay. So there's a, there's a supervisor, I guess at the door. And anytime you walk out of the hotel, you're supposed to write your name, your team, what time it is. And then you leave, you come back, sign back in, make sure, sure. you're back in the hotel. So that way, if they see that it's been more than 90 minutes and you still haven't signed back in, they can kind of start panicking and be like, where is he? And why is he not back? Sure. Um, so there's that. That's good. I've only not signed out once and it was just because I wanted to see a car outside. So I just poked my head out, checked it out, and popped back mm-hmm. in. Um, dinner situation is flexible in the way that at the start of the meet, we were very, we were very structured to your set time. Mm-hmm. So if your team's time, the Cali Condors, was 7.30 to 9, that was when you ate dinner. Like it wasn't, oh, you're hungry at 6, well, you can squeak in. Um, and after I think a little bit of the COVID uh, tests have come through, now that everyone, has, everyone that's here has been tested on the same schedule, they've, they've relaxed a little bit, but it's mostly based on space. So at 6 p.m., if we, we as the doors aren't scheduled, to go in at 6 p.m. and it's packed, they won't let us in. Like, mm-hmm. it's just, a, I'm sorry, there's no space for you. But at say a 7.30, this is actually what happened uh, like a few nights ago. We were scheduled to go, I think 9.30 to 11 was our dinner time, which anyone who knows, knows that if I just did a two hour practice from four to six, I probably need to eat dinner, like some food before 9.30 p.m. And there's not um, a lot of snacks laying around from what I've heard as well, right? Yeah. So not a lot of snacks, not a lot of snacks at all. It's kind of, you can grab bananas in dining hall, grab apples and take that back to your room or like some rolls or bread. But since we're not really allowed to go grocery shopping, you can't really stock up on fruit snacks or goldfish or something, the usual snacks. Um, And so once they realize that, and once they realize that it should be more of a capacity issue as opposed to a team issue, uh, they've, they've relaxed a little bit. So that day, instead of nine 30, they let us squeak in for 20 or 30 minutes when we had our own little segment, our own little corner. Um, and we weren't allowed to be there long and because they clean it after every single meal. So that's the whole purpose of the structured groups is mm-hmm. if it's seven 30 to nine, and then we started nine 30, the 30 minutes is because they disinfect everything. They change everything. Um, and so they let us squeak in right before that group and then they disinfected it for the next group. Sure. Um, and so we're all kind of hoping as we go forward that we get a little more flexibility on the meals because I think that's like one of the biggest things, you know, you got to eat to perform. you got to be, 
I don't want to be losing weight. That's not good for anyone over here. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but I think they'll, they already have, and I think they will continue to maybe relax a little bit on the timing. Uh, they're, they're not relaxing at all on the testing or anything. I can guarantee that. Yeah. As they should. Okay. So that's a pretty structured day. You're basically moving around in rhythm with everyone on your team, according to a pretty rigid schedule. Yeah, you and, get, we get sent a schedule every morning, and it's like that's yeah, that's your schedule. So, I want to talk about the training for a second because there's two pieces to it that are interesting to me, and the first one is what you're doing while you're over there. So you're basically t- pe- people at swim meets and on swim teams. And by the way, this again, this is a unique thing because it's a six week thing instead of say a one week week swim meet yeah. or a you know, five week training camp that ends with the Olympics. Like there are for big meets or worlds or something like that. This is six weeks of competing. So part one, you're piecing together this tapestry from uh, your coaches back at Texas, the coaches at NC state and your head coach with Cali Condors, John T Skinner. And you're kind of making this like stew of training for yourself. Um, Is that by choice are you doing that on purpose or who is guiding you to say, do this there, do this there, do this there? Because the interesting split for me is you guys are decentralized in your training. Like, mm-hmm. yes, you met up with NC state before you left, but there's no, you know, Cali condors meeting up in central California to train before you guys leave for the meet. You got, you are living and training in Austin. Coleman Stewart lives and trains in NC at NC state in Raleigh, even though you guys hung out for a couple of days. And now you're here and you're all trying to kind of manage your training with coaches that you haven't had day to day before. So what is that like, first of all, over there? Well, so first off, yes, I am kind of doing that on my own. I'm, mm-hmm. I, I'm one of the few that's doing a little bit of a, of a third pot, a little stew of uh, coaching. Um, so I'll take Justin and Coleman, for example. Sure. Uh, they, they have all their practices. So Braden's putting all their practices in an Excel sheet. And then that is shared with Coach Jaunty. And so Jaunty knows, and then Braden will tell Coach Jaunty what he is flexible on, right? So for this morning, for instance, he was like, you, you're on warm-up and you're on the preset. And so Jaunty handled that, and Braden has full faith that Jaunty can handle that, and he obviously was able to. Sure. Um, and then the main set that we did was straight from Braden. And that, I would say, is how most of it is going, like, home coaches are sending in, sending in pre-written workouts. Um, but as you know, Eddie Reese is not one for writing workouts down. So yeah. <laughs> I have a lot of written workouts that me and Townley have done in the past. And so we're using those as references. Sure. Um, we're using those as references, but you know, Townley will hop in with whoever is about what he needs to do. Right. Eddie will reach out. He'll say, Hey, I think you should probably go about 5,000, 6,000 yards today. I think it should be mostly aerobic. And I think you should hit a little bit of speed at the end. And mm-hmm. so Tony will take that. He'll give it to Jaunty and Jaunty having access to everyone on the Condors training. Any, any other coaches that are sending stuff in can then direct Tony where he probably needs to be going. Um, you know, whether it be with me uh, uh, doing some random set that they both just made up or whether it be with Florida and he does Florida set, the Florida group, I mean. Sure. Because we have a large group of Florida. So it's more like instead of, what we're used to, which is my coach is telling me what to do every day. And that's all I know in the world. Mm-hmm. You guys are basically being professional athletes where it's like, 
you are picking the training that you want to do with guidance from the coaches and the coaches are the ones that are actually giving you the training to do. But it sounds like there's more like, like instead of this swimmer with this coach, it seems like coaches are sitting up like these pods. So like the Florida coaches are sending their swimmers workouts and the NC state coaches are sending their swimmers workouts. And they're, these are like pods that like a Tate Jackson can float over to, or a Townley Haas can float over to. Mm-hmm. Or even, or even cross group, you know, or like cross group, state guys yeah. could go to Florida, Florida guys could come over to us. And, right. and, you know, I think that's awesome. And I think that the other thing too is, um, I just lost it. I just completely lost it. Uh, <laughs> the other thing is, touch, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to touch on how, um, since Jaunty has access to everybody's schedule, it makes it easy for him to recommend something because he knows what's coming up for their schedule as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it's, they're kind of directing, but then also coach Brian, um, I'm going to be completely honest. I don't know coach Brian's last name, but okay. coach Brian from Den, he was at Denver. And then I believe he went to Iowa briefly. And then Iowa obviously is, is uh, no longer. Sure. Um, but Coach Brian, he on the first day we were here, he just did my whole set. Like mm-hmm. he just gave us the whole set. Um, and like I think the thing I wanted to touch on was yes, they're treating us like professional athletes, and that's been the hardest thing to communicate to people that are reaching out to me asking what it's like. It's like it's like we're professional athletes. Like yeah. we have say, and we have, you know, we have a say on what we're doing because our opinion is also respected. Mm-hmm. Like we didn't just we didn't get just picked up and put here we were we were reached someone reached out to us and was like we want you to come swim for us yeah for you were, this you were signed you were signed as free agents i got a call from the jason lezak <laughs> and yeah he wanted me to come and be here and so you okay. know i think that that's a huge part of it it's like you're treating us like adults and people that know how to handle themselves in the sport mm-hmm. and that's a huge appeal to almost all of us it's a stark contrast and not commenting on better or worse, but just a contrast to, again, like someone who just has to do something that their coach gave them to the letter every single day versus you guys are almost piecing together like plans for yourselves. And like, you know, every single lap isn't exactly, isn't exactly the perfect lap, but the broad spectrum of what you're doing day to day gets the job done. Um, But but, but I want to move on because you brought up this phone call you got from Jason Lezak. So let's rewind to last year. I think it's around October of 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can correct me on that if I'm off by a month or two. The ISL season's in full swing. Uh, you are not a part of it yet. And you get a phone call from Jason Lezak, the GM of the Cali Condors and the anchor leg of the legendary 08, um, freestyle relay for team USA that won the gold. So take me through that phone call and what it was like for you in the moment. Well, yes, I had completely lost hope. Right. And I don't mean that as like, I was bummed and sad. It was more of a, the ISL season was in swing. I wasn't a part of it. I had seen Townley do it. I was excited about it. And at the time it was just a big motivator for me. Mm-hmm. It was like, Oh, I probably need to like buckle down, get working so I could be a part of this next year. Sure. Um, and then he called me and obviously I was, I was willing to do anything. Right. I was like, yes, I'm in. Doesn't matter. Doesn't yeah. matter. I'm there. Yeah. Like I'm there no matter what you tell me I'm getting paid. Doesn't matter any of that. I want to be part of the team. 
I want to be there for the team. Um, and come on, I mean, this Jason Lezak called me. Jason Lezak has my phone number. Like that's a, a childhood dream, right? Like we watched sure. him swim that relay. He is going to be legendary forever, you know, immortalized on the YouTube. So it was, uh, it was great. I was very happy to get the call. And it felt, you know, it feels like you're being drafted. Like it feels like you're getting picked up. Sure. Uh, it was everything short of wearing a three-piece suit and putting on a Cali Condors yeah. hat as you're Throwing walking on, on a stage. Set. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. so, I mean, that moment for you, did that feel like some sort of culmination? Because you were 10 years old when that relay happened and you grew up um, in a world that was shaped by that relay, Michael Phelps' eight gold medals, and the explosion of talent that happened in swimming afterward. So yeah. what was going through your mind, A, when you got the phone call, and B, in the time leading up to your first meet at College Park? So, well, first off, I will say that for me personally, my goal in swimming was always to be a professional swimmer. Mm -hmm. Because, like, when I was a kid, my older brother was a lot better than me at most sports. And so he had a lot of, you know, we'll say potential to like do a lot of things and a lot of different options. And so I wanted to be good at something and I wanted to be so good at something that someone was willing to pay me to do it. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was literally my dream, like a dream come true. Uh, Jason Lezak, someone I watched when I was 10 years old, swim at the Olympics and do something that nobody will forget, called me and was like, I want to pay you to do what you've been training to do your whole life. And so for me, it was, that was it. I was like, sweet. That, That's a that big, was, big goal. Yeah, that was the culmination of a goal. Um, it's so fascinating what you said about wanting to be a professional swimmer and having that distinction even as a kid because, you know, most kids growing up, especially people my age, I'm, um, I'm about seven years older than you. And even just the change in eras between me and you, it was, I want to be an Olympian, right? And if you don't connect with that goal, for a lot of kids with a ton of talent, they don't, but maybe don't necessarily want to be Olympians. There's this really big chasm between what they actually want to be and Olympics. And it sounds like you figured out pretty early. Uh, there's actually all of this where I can be. And you kind of had a precociousness to you be like, I don't, I mean, Olympics, great. That's what I want to do. Yeah. I mean, but, obviously that's everyone's, but blinking neon sign professional swimmer, you knew that from a young age. Yeah. Because I think for me, it's, it's the desire to like, you know, like I said, be so good at something that someone's willing to pay you to do it. Mm -hmm. And I think that a difference, like you said, it, it comes from the, the, the group of swimmers that I was brought up with. And I think that, you know, maybe when you were coming up, being a professional swimmer wasn't something that you know, the second group, I don't know how to describe it. The second group could accomplish, you know, being a professional swimmer was for Michael Phelps and Ryan Lochte and they could make enough money. And then yeah. everybody else got a gold medal and then went on to do real life. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's yeah. how it was, when I was a kid. like, that's what most people thought of it. And so when I was growing up in, you know, in high school, it, I slowly started to realize like, no, like you can make money off of it. For sure. Yeah. Like if you want to, you can make money off it. There's if, if Michael Phelps can get a sponsorship, that means that somebody is paying something for his name and for his face. Right. Right. So that was something that like was a huge appeal to me. I just wanted to be good enough to be recognized as 
he's good enough to, to be there. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. You brought up like the group that I was a part of like that. I know what you mean too. Like that B group, not necessarily like the USA national a team, which oh, you're yeah. around a lot of those guys all the time. And you see maybe just like a, a slight difference in how they think about the world. Cause they have access to, have had access in the past to these Olympic dreams by making 16 in Rio or 12 in London. Um, and I was in there too of like, I came up through this funnel of USA swimming of like national junior teams. And a lot of these people that were on junior teams and Welks teams with me uh, went on to be Olympians and they were amazing swimmers. But the club team that I grew up on NBAC, uh, Michael Phelps was blowing up and was NBAC's top person while I was there. So the dream was for everyone in NBAC, you know, be like Michael Phelps, be an Olympian and be a pro that way. I mean, he signed a 10 year speedo deal when he was, when he was 15, 16 years old. And I yeah. was like, wait, is that what you have to do? You have to like, so, and I had never heard of anybody else's success uh, in suits at the time, except for maybe actually a couple fellow Texas alums, like uh, Aaron Pearsall, who signed big Nike yeah. deals. But that that sort of shading is super important i think and i've discussed that on previous episodes about how there needs to be a scale of success and i think the isl is growing that but back to yeah. you getting started on this season you get the call uh you're ready to go because you're already training to be a pro you'd come off of an extremely successful season where you went super fast and i believe you're at the world university games in 2019 right yep yeah i had world university games in naples and you brought home gold. I did. Two and, golds and a, and a silver. Yeah. And had gone a time. I mean, you were one of the 10 fastest guys in the country in the 100 free at this point, right? Yeah. So, like, that's the other thing, too, is, like, I've never, you know, I've never viewed myself as, like, second string by any means. Sure. Um, and to be fair, more no, of just like, yeah, neither of us do, but there no, is no, definitely no, tears yeah. when you get up there. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't know that, like you're, you're, you're joking yourself, right? Like I yeah. don't look at Caleb dress and be like, yeah, we're, we're the same because we're not, <laughs> you know, he has, yeah, he has course. access to things that I don't have access to yet. Um, and that comes with the Olympics and that comes with that un additional level of professionalism. Sure. Um, but now with the ISL, it brings, like you said, that whole gap, right? Because now coming straight out of college, you can feed right into the ISL. Mm -hmm. And it's a way to support yourself and sustain the Olympic dream. Sure. Right? So now if your main goal, if your goal when you're, when you're younger is to be a professional swimmer, once you hit that, I now have the funding and ability to continue the dream for the Olympics. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important to note. It's like, it's a, it's a, it's a breeding ground for like insanely good swimmers to, to flourish and to continue to do what they want to do. Yeah. And I think that uh, ISL, I think you could probably look at most teams rosters and pick out one person that you, that they probably thought they were done. You know, they, they finished college. They were like, I'm done swimming. Got the call from ISL. They're like, sweet. I can continue to do this because before I didn't have the funds, the ability to do it. And this has given them the opportunity to continue to train through 2021 now. Mm-hmm. The fresh chance at a dream, and this is going to change as the ISL is more ubiquitous and 10, 15-year-olds grow up wanting to be in the ISL. But for people, you know, my age to your age, the age range that's at the ISL, I, it's almost like emotional for me to think about that, like, you get a second chance at something that you thought would never exist and you thought you were done. Like, 
that must have been the most amazing feeling in the world. But for you, I want to go back to you for a second because you're fresh off a successful college career. You brought home gold for Team USA at the World University Games. You're top 10 in the country in the 100 freestyle. And I believe higher than that. So you can correct me if, if were you top five? I think I was fifth last year, yeah. In, in a country where six people go to the Olympics in the 100 freestyle because uh, the bottom two are relay alternates. Or sorry, the bottom four are relay alternates. Um, yeah. So this is 2019, and you're thinking about 2020. Like, okay, this is real. I'm, I can do this thing. Um, and now this ISL thing starts. And you get the call from Jason Lee, Zach. Yeah. What was it like for you showing up to College Park for that meet? And maybe even what that meet was like for you at your very first professional swim meet? So when I went to College Park, I knew that – so Jason had brought me on um, to swim the Hunter freestyle, right? Because obviously that's what I'm good at. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I knew up front he had told me that for College Park, I mostly would just be doing relays. Yeah. And so I went into that as like, let's learn as much as I can learn, like as much as possible. Uh, because that, just like I said about this trip, there's so many people here and so many people training and doing things that you would have never known about had you not been here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I went to College Park, I was like, let's learn from all of the other 100 freestylers on the team. You know, there's one that's pretty good. Um, so I was like, let's watch Caleb. Let's see what he does. Let's see how he does it. And let's try and take from that and see if I can apply that to me to help myself. Um, Cause yeah, like you're right. I was, uh, I was fifth last year and the year before that I was sixth. So I've, I've been top six in the country for the last two years. And so, you know, I obviously had my sights set on 2020. I was like, I've been top six. We can, the only important thing is you just do it at that meet, right? You got to do it at that meet to, to make the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was where I was at was I was like, he's made the team. Like he's done it. So if I can watch and learn or even, or even we're on the same team, I could talk to him. Why don't I walk up, talk to him, ask him, Hey, could you take a look at my stroke? Like, does this look like something that's insane or have I been doing the right thing the whole, this whole time? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's another level of information that I can get about myself. Uh, and so that's how I approached the college park meet was let's learn as much as we can about this. Let's swim as fast as we can and let's, have a positive impact, right? I need to have a positive impact on the team. Because for me at the time, I was like, I need to solidify myself as an important member of the Condors, right? You need to show them that it doesn't really matter how fast you swim because you're important to the team regardless of what your time goes. Mm -hmm. So because I think that another thing that hasn't even really been touched on for the entire thing is the team chemistry. Like, you have a team chemistry like you had in college. You have very close friends. Like I've made very close friends in the short week that we've been here, mm-hmm. you know, the new additions to the Condors. And I got to see all of the friends that I made from last season, even though I was only with, at two meets with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think that learning was a huge point and just a positive contribution. Those are my two, my two bullet points for College Park mm-hmm. was go and learn and go and make a difference and help the team in any way that I could. And I'm sure it was incredibly exciting as well. So College Park happens. That's the last, the last match of the season. And then you guys go to the, the final shootout in Las Vegas. So mm-hmm. what, what was Las Vegas like? After you've had one under your belt, um, you're given a little bit more responsibility at the big championship meet. 
I imagine it was even more glitzy being in a place like Las Vegas with, with also with uh, two of the international teams there with you guys. So what mm-hmm. was Las Vegas like in comparison? So Las Vegas was in comparison. I was a lot more, you know, I was more dialed than on my races because sure. at the time now I've, I got to meet under my belt. I know how the ISO works. I know how fast it goes. Um, and so I was a little more prepared. You, you absorbed all the learning from the first meet. Exactly. And then compressed into your learning yeah, for the last meet. It's time to use what I learned, uh, was kind of what Vegas was for me. And sure. yeah, it was looking at what Vegas was and looking at what here it is, like what the, the Budapest meet is like is, you know, you can see the similarities and you can see how the actual ISL learned a lot. Uh-huh. like the actual the logistics of that meet compared to this meet were worse like las vegas was not as you know not as fluid not as everything wasn't as everything didn't make sense as much as it okay. makes sense here yeah gotcha. uh, when it comes to the production when it comes to like a little bit of everything you know because yeah. it was their first time doing it too um but vegas as a as a swim meet for me was a lot like you know you would see ncaa's um and I think that this is also something too. People keep there's a lot of people reaching out to me and saying like, "Oh, how's that swim for you? What's that time like?" I'm like, I don't know. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, like, times here are kind of irrelevant overall. Like, mm-hmm. you can still break records. We had uh, Eddie Wang broke the the uh, junior world record in the 200 fly mm-hmm. at one of our meets. Um, you know, you can break world records and stuff, but for the most part. Did you score points? Because that's really all that matters. Yeah. Because this is a competition. Yeah. Like if I go, if I swim the hunter freestyle and go 50 point, but I get second, I don't care. Like that doesn't matter. Like I got second, I got a ton of points. Like that's what we're all here for. And that means that the people behind me swam slower and got less points. It doesn't, the times are mostly irrelevant. Yeah. Um, And that's how I saw Vegas as well. You know, I, I would swim the relay, didn't really care about the split. How'd the race feel? Did I swim it right? If I didn't swim it right, what can I change for next time? And then how, like, did I contribute? Which for the most part, yeah, I think I positively contributed. Mm-hmm. What's it like to have a detachment from times like that? Cause that sounds like I, a, a very stark contrast to, you know, what, what we are normally like on the high end level of swimming, where you're all in on your times and you're pouring over your splits. Mm-hmm. And even if the race felt like crap, or you got like seventh, if you win a super fast time, then you're probably happy with yourself outside of getting sixth or seventh at the Olympic trials. But yeah, in individual swimming, we're obsessed with times. So do you, and you, it seems like you like that contrast. You like that difference. I, I personally like swimming without times, especially in this environment where we're training at the same time, Mm -hmm. you know, because we're not, we're not doing three days of hard training and then four days of taper and then, racing and then resetting every week it's like we're kind of training pretty hard and then maybe one day that we back off a little bit and then you race and then it's like that because you know we're all still training for finals mostly like that's that's the goal is to swim well enough in the in the first four matches to make to claim your spot for semi semifinals and then finals yeah um and i'm all about it i've i've struggled in my whole swimming career with setting a time and then letting that time dictate my swims. Like I struggled so hard to break 20 point in the 50 free for so long mm-hmm. just to go, just to go 19. 
And then the first time I went 19, like the next time I swim it, I went like 19.3 because I was good enough to go 19.5 the whole time. I was just so mentally obsessed with going 19.99 that I would psych myself out every single time I swam it. Right. And so I think that being here in A, I don't know short course meters times at all because yeah. we don't swim it back home. Right? It's something that's very opaque to U.S. swimmers like us that really have no relationship to it. Yeah. And I think that honestly helps too. Like I swam my first race, uh, at, at the first match here and I got out of the water and I like, I like literally pulled Caleb aside. And I was like, dude, was that a good time? Like, I, I truly don't know. And I'm not asking is like, I want to be bummed if it was slow. I just want to know, like, did I, did I deliver what I needed to deliver? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, that comes honestly for me, mostly I just look at the whole sheet. Like what did everyone split? like across the whole board, how many, like how many people were faster than me on my split? You know? Yeah. Um, so I'm all about it. I think that taking times out of it makes me some faster because I'm not really worried about that. I'm just kind of worried about beating those next to me. Um, and I got a I got a race right next to Townley last, uh, at the second day of the competition, me and him both let off the A and the B relay, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and like, that's easy. We're at practice beat Townley. That's, that's, that's the goal. Beat Townley. If I yeah. beat Townley, we're probably hitting, you know, pretty, pretty far up on the board. So our old assistant coach, Chris Kubik, liked to talk about this, that the best, the best racers, the people that he admired the most were the ones where if you just turn the clocks off and it was just race across the schoolyard to see who could touch the pole first. That's, that's the kind of swimmer that he wanted. And yeah. ISL is now bringing that out in all of you guys. Yeah. And I think especially, that's important. And especially, it must be nice um, racing someone like Townley, who, you know, super close friend of yours, classmate, and someone you spent all this time with, or maybe not classmate, but a super close friend of yours. And yeah. you're over there with him. I guess that's the part that people don't really get about, like, the other pro sports too is, you know, NBA players that went to college together, or went to basketball camps together, they're buddies in the background. And that's something that's heightened even more in swimming and is almost more known in the swimming community is that everyone over there, you guys are all buddies, right? Yeah. And if you're not, yeah. you become buddies, like you said, very close. It's a friend cooker being over there, mm-hmm. much like college swimming is. Yeah. Um, but I want to, I want to touch on another part of this because you know, here at Pro Corner, I'm super interested in just the mechanics of what it takes to be a pro. So you've talked about how you wanted to be a pro swimmer your whole life because you want to do something that you would get paid for. You'd want to be so good at your sport, you want to get paid for it. So without, we don't have to delve into number details, but you've told me before that you get a lot of questions from people saying, hey, like you get paid? Like what's, so <laughs> yeah. So take us through it. Take us through a pie chart of how Tate Jackson, Cali Condor's professional swimmer, puts together a living income for himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so first off, a lot of people don't know that the national team gets like a, a stipend or a, technically a salary. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is about 50% of what I make every year is just the national team stipend. And that comes from being top six in your event every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so luckily happily i've been able to have that for, <clears throat> been able to have that for the last two years and then another 25 percent comes from my suit uh contract with like uh with dolphin 
Um, and that is, is the same format. It's a monthly payment where they're just helping me achieve, helping me get anything that I need to get to keep swimming. Sure. You know, they, they help take the, take the load off of like, I got to pay rent. I got to pay bills. I got to, you know, you know, you know, the struggle. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, <laughs> and for this year, the last 25% is going to come from ISL. Uh, in last year, the, it was a little bit different cause I just, I didn't make as much money as I did from ISL last year as this year, because there's so many more meets or so many yeah. more matches, um, that, you know, that's, and it's also, it could change if I pop off and win four events at a, at a meet, that's a huge, uh, chunk of what I'm going to make that year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that's important too, you know, and that's how it was with, uh, you know, t- tier pro some series or, like the FINA championship series is doing a similar thing, like off mm-hmm. prize money. Mm-hmm. Um, last year for the Condors, it was uh, an appearance-based thing. Okay. So you would, I, I would negotiate with Jason and he would say, this is how much like, I, I'd be willing to pay you per, per meet. And that's what it was set at. And that's what I would do. Um, and then on top of that is any winnings. And there's individual money winnings and team money winnings. So, and I think you can actually just look up ISL money. Sure. Uh, like it, it'll tell you what it is, but if you win a match and not me personally, but if the Condors win a match, I get X amount of money. If we get second, we get, you know, whatever, a little bit less and less and less. It's I think top, top three get money in the matches and then fourth place doesn't. Um, and then it, I want to say it goes up in the semifinals and then up again in finals. Mm-hmm. So you have that, you know, monetary incentive to continue to swim fast throughout the whole meet. Sure. It's so being on a good team because in other sports and I guess in this sport too, you might take a pay cut to be on a better team in terms of your salary, but it's made up in if the team does super well. So it's actually a really nice thing to be on the condors for you because number one, if you perform well, you make as much prize money as you would anywhere else. Mm -hmm. But number two, the condors being, um, you know, you guys won your first match. You guys are looking like the favorite amongst being at the, least best, the American yeah. teams. Yeah. Being the best, <laughs> uh, something you're used to being a university of Texas swimming alum. Um, you get money off of that as well. Yeah. So I don't know, I guess it's, it's a really cool thing to me that money is being used to kind of pull the team even more together. Because even if you're someone who, and this is not you, but there might be some swimmers who think more, you know, it's an individual sport and they're very focused on that. Their teammates are dictating their income. So on top of the fact you guys are all friends, um, swimmers tend to just be able to talk to each other whenever they show up to meets together and immediately have Mm -hmm. rapport. Now there's also a capitalist incentive for you guys to be good teammates together. Yeah. So have you noticed, I guess, is it, is it impressive to you how quickly everybody kind of coalesces and becomes teammates in these situations? Well, like, I also don't want to speak for other teams because I, I truly think that the Condors have the best team chemistry. And like, mm-hmm. if anyone from any other team thinks otherwise, like, I think you're wrong. Um, I think that our team got so close so fast. I don't know whether it was Jason did a really good job at picking personalities that would mesh well together or if, we as a team came in thinking of it as a team thing. Like I, I told Jason, I'll swim for free. 
like I'll do it for no money. I, I want to be a part of it. I want to experience it. And I want to be a part of a team that's racing as a team again, mm-hmm. because you know, that's what we do at Texas. We swim for the team. Yeah. And you know, you don't swim a single race at Texas for yourself. It's all for the team. And I wanted that back because that's something that is indescribable. It's, it's, a, it's a feeling that makes it easy to get up and race fast. And, and, and so do you feel like this is similar? Oh yes. A hundred percent. Like, and that's the thing. Like if, if ISL season three happens and Jason calls me up and he says, you know, Hey, we just signed Danny Kruger. He's, he's way better than you. Love you, Danny. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, I can't pay you this year. I'm like, put me on, man. I'm there. That's fine. Like, that's yeah. cool. Because like, I love the team. I think we are all a great fit together. Um, and I'll, yeah, I, I think that it's, I'm here for the team, you know, all the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that's important because it makes it easier to race fast when you care about everyone else on your team. Sounds like you're one of the glue guys and you can, you don't have to say one way or the other, but that's the perception from this end. Um, do you have any funny stories of anything that's been going on over there, whether it's with um, your friend Townley Haas or any of your Cali Condors teammates where you were like, like, this is kind of nuts. <laughs> like, did you ever have any, have you had any moments like that yet where you're like, what is so I on? have one from last last year because since COVID we don't like get a ton of in-person time together. True. Well, but take us take us through the one last year. That's fine. We could talk about Vegas because the day like the end of the meet, once the meet was over, Vegas was crazy because like think about it. Like we we've talked about this whole time, the whole swimming community is buddy buddy so fast. And even right after finals in Vegas where, you know, one team's a winner, one team's a loser, sure. whatever they hosted a, a party for us. Like we had a ballroom. There was the DJ from ISL was in there playing, playing, uh, whatever he plays. I don't know. <laughs> and, uh, whatever music's on some fun uh, brand of EDM. Yeah. The electronic EDM music. And, uh, he's in there and you know, we're all, it's all the swimmers, everyone you can imagine, you know, like you're turning, you're seeing Nathan's there. You got Mac Reavers is there. You got everyone's there. Flora Manitou's there. Yeah. From all over the world. Um, and yeah, of course there's funny stories from that, right? Like I saw Justin Russ do the worm across the whole, across the whole <laughs> dance floor. Um, but really like the crazy part was the, was the casinos, right? Cause we were in Mandalay Bay. So we had a casino in the lobby. Yeah. And so not only were we all there, but you also just paid us money to be there. So we're all sitting there happy off the money we just made yeah. in a casino. Flush, um, flush with cash, ready to go. And so one, one funny story I have is I was playing craps with Will Lacone and, you know, Anton Ibsen and a few other people. And I just feel these hands on my shoulders and I turn around to Florent Manadu. I can't even describe how little I felt in the moment. Yeah. And he just whispers down. He's like, how's this game work? <laughs> and he's like asking me, he's never met me in his entire life just wants to know how this game works. Yeah. And I, it was so funny because it just, his hands on my shoulders made me feel so small. Like I swear his fingers were like mid chest. Like he was just like, he could have thrown me out and taken my spot. Just launched me. Yeah. Um, that, that was ha- really funny. That happens often for people our size. Cause you're six, four, right? Mm-hmm. I'm six, four too. And I feel like we are the perfect height where, we're towering when we leave the swimming world and we're tall in swimming, but 
there's also like 5% of the elite swimming, which is like these hulking behemoths like Florent Manadu <laughs> yeah. that yeah. you're like, wait, I am amongst like absolute gods right now. Yeah, like he is just a very big person. Mm-hmm. Um, and like on top of that too, the casino is funny because you see all the winners and losers. Like some people are just dumb lucky. Like I think, you know, people were winning money off of the electronic horse racing game. Like good, <laughs> like crazy money. They bet like 10 bucks. They'd, they'd pick horse number 16 or whatever and boom, make $600 off an right. electronic little, little electronic horse running. Oh my God. So like, that's just so funny to see, see all the, you know, it's, it's just fun to see your friends <laughs> have fun, win money. Um, and then you have the losers like me who think they're good at craps and then lose all their money. Um, yeah, it seems like it's bad to be good at it because you think you're good at it. And yeah, it's all dumb luck. Yeah, really, I should just should have just been picking horses the whole time on the electronic thing, and maybe I would have gotten lucky once. Yeah, who knew, man? Well, speaking of horses, I'm gonna be I'll be picking you and uh, the Cali Condors over the next couple weeks. Uh, I think this is a good place to wrap, but I hope that we can do this again. You're gonna have a lot of downtime it sounds like yeah five more weeks five more weeks of 90 minutes structured rec time and weird dinner plans so maybe we'll hop on it and do another zoom again in a couple weeks assuming that you're still uh you know (laughs) still sane (laughs) uh you will get on the call next time i'm speaking fluent hungarian you'll be like yeah you're gonna have a lot of downtime you might as well learn it but um gotta pick up a hobby Tate Jackson, Cali Condors, and fellow Texas alum like myself, Hook'em Buddy. And uh, what's the – teach me the thing here. Go doors. You interlock Go. the fingers, boom. Easy or enough. I think some, some people are going this way, but I can't do it that way. So this way is better for me. Swinging around. Ah, microphone. Go doors. All right, bye, Tate. Bye. Uh, good to talk to you, man. Yeah, you too. And that's the show. Thank you to Tate for stopping by Pro Corner today. And like I said at the top, if you want to hear me and Tate in a live mailbag episode, read off one of your questions, um, submit it to austin at procornerpodcast.com or DM the Instagram page at procornerpodcast. You can leave a comment under this video on YouTube at the Pro Corner YouTube channel. Um, or I guess you could hit Tate up cause he's going to be promoting this thing too. So keep an eye out over the next couple weeks for pro corner, uh, my and Tate's social media. We're going to be promoting this mailbag episode and asking you guys for more questions. All the feedback's been great so far. And then we'll do this thing next week. I'm talking to LA current member and former NCAA all American for the Auburn university, Ali Tetzloff. Uh, it's a lot of fun. By the time we got done with it, I felt like we could have talked for another two hours. It was such an awesome conversation. And that's all I've got today. Thanks for stopping by, and I hope you have a great day. Talk to you.